Revelation chapter 22, we will be, by God's uh, grace and help, considering verses 3 through 6 this morning. I'm sorry, 3 through 5. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night. And they will not have any need of the lamp of a light, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now that the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we, Lord, consider this Mount Everest of verses. Give us minds that understand, that is to see. Lord, give us hearts that believe and give us, Lord, ears and eyes that hear and see. Give us grace to worship you, our triune God. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please, saints of God, be seated. Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, and I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our worship through the apocalypse of John. Saints of God, we come now to a most glorious passage in the apocalypse of John, that of the supreme blessedness that is granted to those who are in Christ of beholding the face of God. When we exit this life. If you have been in this church for the last few years, you have heard the theological term beatific vision. Used on more than one occasion. It is that most glorious moment when the deepest aspiration of creatures made in the image of God is fulfilled and we are granted the great privilege of beholding God face to face. The beatific vision is the ultimate telos for men. The beatific vision is the ultimate purpose for human life fulfilled. Beholding the face of God. It is Perfect blessedness. It is perfect beatitude. Blessedness. When those who are in Christ are beatified. Meaning, when those who are in Christ are made perfectly blessed or perfectly happy. As they partake in the perfect blessedness of God. Beholding the face of our triune God. Saints of God. You were created for the beatific vision. You were created to behold the face of God. And in beholding this blessed vision, to find your greatest joy satisfied in knowing God. In beholding this blessed vision, finding your greatest satisfaction and happiness complete 
in beholding the face of God. You know the catechism question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, it is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Those who framed the question knew that the answer was found in the beatific vision. The chief end for man, the reason for your and my existence is to know God and in and through knowing God, to enjoy perfect happiness or blessedness in Him without end. Do you want to be happy? Do you want joy? It will be found when you behold the face of God. This is accomplished when the beloved beholds the one who loves. It is that moment when we are made like God, as you have heard, when we are deatified. Or deified. In being made like God, we are granted perfect blessing. The perfect blessing of beholding the divine essence of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 36, 9, In your light, we shall see light. The beatific vision is the joy of heaven and of the new creation. You're going to hear me say in this sermon, both heaven and the new creation because the beatific vision is granted to the believer upon departure from these earthen vessels. There shall be some who do not taste death. There shall be some who enjoy the beatific vision immediately in the new creation and not in heaven only, but in the new creation. That is, Whenever you exit this world, whether it be your, bo- your soul departing from this body or body and soul together being joined with Christ in the new creation, whenever that is, you will receive the blessed vision of beholding the face of God. It is the beatific vision in the beatific vision that we will be most alive. It will be in the beatific vision that you will feel the fullest of what it means to be alive. Some of us like roller coasters because on them we feel alive. Some people like to go bungee jumping because when they jump, they feel alive. All of their senses are reaching their their maximum capacities. Saints of God, when you behold the face of God, you will know what it means to truly live. When you behold the face of God, you will know what it truly means to know life and life more abundantly. Pastor Isaiah explained in uh, the human experience in the beatific vision as being this. When our passions are properly aligned with the will and when the will is properly ordered to the intellect and when the intellect is properly ordered to God. When our resurrected bodies will live out this proper order for eternity without end, all things will be made right. What he's saying is all things inwardly are made right. All things outwardly are made right. You will know both inwardly and outwardly what it means to be alive and to live abundant life. Have you ever been somewhere and you know you're supposed to be happy because it's a happy place to be? 
It's a happy time to be in. And yet, whether inwardly or outwardly, something is just off. Or maybe we have those moments, those rare moments when both soul and body are happy, but it doesn't last long. Saints of God, when we behold the face of God, body and soul will be properly ordered and we will know perfect happiness, abundant life, and there will be no glitches. There will be no downward spirals of I was happy, but no longer no. We will be eternally blessed and that blessing will not end. The beach of existence, saints of God, it's not just something that we should be aware of. No. The beach of existence is the goal of the Christian life. It's why you live. So that you will see God. Beatific vision. It's the finish line. That the Apostle Paul was striving to reach. And it is the finish line to which he implored the churches to endure unto. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Saints of God, the beatific vision is the prize. I say to you, Reformation Bible Church. Seeing God is the prize. If you are in Christ, it's the reason why you have been brought to Christ, so that you will see God. Not for streets of gold. Not for gates of pearl. Not for luxurious mansions. We know the symbolism of those things now, don't we? We have been brought to Christ so that we might behold the face of God and in beholding Him. He will produce in the beholder such a blessedness that no other thing for all eternity is needed. Dear ones, the beatific vision, I'm going to say this slowly, is not a Roman Catholic doctrine. The beatific vision is not a Roman Catholic dogma. We might be tempted to be uncomfortable with the language whenever your elders say, beatific vision, beatific vision, beatific vision. We might be tempted to believe, doesn't that language belong to Rome? Are we crossing that river? Let me assure you that the beatific vision is not a Roman Catholic doctrine. No, it is a Catholic doctrine. It belongs to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, we are not crossing any rivers. We are planted on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has established his church. The beatific vision does not also find its basis in philosophy. Throughout this sermon. We are going to hear some technical things. That might cause us to say this sounds more philosophical. Let me say to you, brothers and sisters, the beatific vision finds its foundation, it finds its basis in the holy scriptures of God. Therefore, it is a theological doctrine to which philosophy will serve as its handmaiden. The scriptures, the scriptures proclaim an anticipatory hope. Psalm 11, 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will see his face. A few weeks ago, Pastor Isaiah preached two wonderful sermons on beholding the face of God and righteousness from 
Psalm 17. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Go back and listen to those sermons. I encourage you after this one. David. And it's not wrong to call him Saint David. Just as I call you Saint Anthony. And Saint uh, Javier. That does not belong to the Roman Catholic Church. It belongs to the church. Saint David. Longing for a vision of God that, that will take place. He says, when I awake, I will see your face. That is, in his soul, when his soul is separated from his body, he will, listen to this word, know. He will know a satisfaction or happiness or blessedness unlike anything ever produced in his earthly sojourning. While he walked on the earth, there were things that blessed him. There were things that he saw that gave him joy. But David says that when he finally goes to sleep, and when he finally awakes, his eyes, supernaturally speaking, will behold a vision that nothing on this earth could ever compare to. That will bring him joy. Unlike nothing or anything on this earth could ever get. David's hope is that his journey will come to an end. Saints of God. Aren't you looking for this journey to come to an end? Aren't you looking for forward to the day when your travels will cease? When your journey will come to an end? When the dust from your feet will by the Lord of glory be wiped from your feet and you will behold the face of God? Aren't you looking forward to the day when the journey will come to an end? David was. And it's not to say that you don't enjoy the things now. It's not to say that you don't enjoy the people now. Or even the experiences now. But it is to say, as David says, that there will come a time when every person and every experience that you have ever known in this life will pale in comparison to the... And the joy that they gave will pale in comparison to the joy that you will have when you see God. It's why you live. You haven't been created for your kids. You haven't been created for your wife as if they are the end unto themselves. You have been created to see God. He is the end of you. It will, that moment will produce a blessedness that you have been made to know. It was his great longing, and it is the true longing of, of everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. David says in Psalm 27, one thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And David, what will you do there? What, what will you do there, David? And David says, all those who are pure in heart, that they will have this one aim, this one pursuit, to be in the house of God, and while they are there, verse 4, to behold, listen to this, the beauty. Another version says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
And to do what then, David? And as you gaze to meditate, or another verse that says, as you gaze to contemplate. To live an eternal life of contemplating the beauty of God. That is to, to enjoy the beauty of God. To enjoy the face of God as you behold Him. You, you might think, I see mountains. And I only need one vision and it great, it looks good. You can go to Grand Canyon. You could go to, uh, what's that place up north? Uh, um, I can't think of it now. You can go see El Capitan, wherever that park is. What is that park called? Say it louder. Go there. And you can see the Great Valley. And some of us might say, I could never get enough of seeing that valley. My wife and I, we uh, honeymoon there. And I long to go back there. I long to see it again. But I certainly did not spend the week that we had on our honeymoon just staring at the valley at Yosemite. There came a time when I was ready to move on. There came a time when I was ready to see other things. When you behold the face of God, you will not say I've had enough. When you behold the face of God, you will not say, I'm, I'm okay, I'd like to see other things now. You know how our kids do when we take them places. Okay, what's next? Rather, when we see the face of God, we will be eternally content over and over without end. Joy and joy and joy on beholding the face of God. The beatific vision is not limited to the Old Testament either. But it is the thing that is proclaimed by Christ when he begins his earthly ministry. On the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord proclaimed, Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our Lord and Savior assures those who have by the grace of God received new hearts in the place of corrupted hearts, that when they see God, that that their hearts will finally be purged of all sin, and the result will be, they shall see God. It was to this vision that his beloved disciple John proclaimed, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet as to yet what we will as to what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. No, the testimony of seeing God is not limited to the Old Testament, but it is proclaimed in the New Testament. And finally here, in some of the last faithful and true inspired words of God for hope for God's people, the beatific vision is held out in front of us. Once again by the Apostle John. As our aspiration of the human experience finally fulfilled. The moment when faith finally gives way to sight. When hope finally possesses what it hoped for. When love and knowledge and knowledge and love reach to the fullest extremities of the saints. Our lifelong journey in the pursuit of happiness will be realized when we behold the face of God. John, and it is almost as if John is echoing 
and saying with all of the voices who have ever said from the scriptures and thereafter, we will see his face. Imagine David and all those of the Old Testament and John and all of those of the New Testament saying together in unison, when you depart from this life, and they all say together, you will see his face. Brothers and sisters, I think it's appropriate. And we, we were singing before the throne of God. And I had a moment in which I had to ask myself, are we singing this appropriately? And here's why. Because I think it's appropriate for us to consider who exactly will we see? And in what way shall we see? Who will we see? And in what way shall we see? The answer may seem simple. But let me assure you, it is not. Whom shall we see? I'll make it plain for you. We will see God. Who will we see? We will see God. That is, we shall see the divine essence. We, as we have just heard from the Apostle John, we shall see him as he is. Two months ago, we heard from Pastor Isaiah. The sermon title was this. We shall behold his face in righteousness. Whom shall we see? Beloved, we shall see God. The divine essence is another way of saying we shall see the essence of God. Follow me. We shall see God as he is. God as God. God's essence and his existence, they are one and we shall see him as he is. Notice Revelation 22, 3. There will no longer be any curse. Look at this verse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be in it. And his bondservants will serve, listen to this word, this pronoun, him. They will see, here's another one, his face, another one, and his name will be on their foreheads. Who shall we see? Brothers and sisters, we sang it, I think, in above the throne of God above. When we think about heaven, it can be tempting to think only about seeing the resurrected, glorified, and ascended Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I hope that you hear this. It can be tempting to only think about seeing Jesus. That is, we could have a Christocentric focus on whom we shall see in the beatific vision. Let me be clear. It is not wrong nor is it a wrong desire to see Christ. It is, a, it is not a wrong desire to long to behold the one who laid down his life so that we might be brought into glory. But it is wrong, theologically and hermeneutically, as we have just read, to conclude that the beatific vision is only seeing Christ. Whom shall we see? 
we shall see God. The scriptures do not teach, as we have just read from verse 3, that we will only see Christ. Also, we must not only desire to see Christ, now here, watch this, at the exclusion of the other two persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or Father and Spirit. Does that make sense, I pray? That the beatific vision does not consist of you just seeing Christ. But the beatific, can, uh, the beatific vision consists of you seeing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one. John 22, 3. John sees the, the throne of God. Which is always meant to denote Father, who is first in order. And then he sees Lamb, who is the eternal Word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But then John uses a singular pronoun four times between verses 3 and 5. And will you notice with me what they are? Verse 3. His bondservants will serve him. After seeing the throne of God and seeing the Lamb of God, John says they will see him. Singular. Verse 4. They will see his face. John does not say they will see their faces. But his face and his name will be on their forehead. The persons. Verse 5. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have any need of light. Nor light of the sun. Because the Lord. We could use that again as a singular. The Lord God. The Lord God will illumine them. When John is prophetically told of whom we shall see. He is not shown one but three. And when John sees three, he sees one. In Revelation 22.1, John sees, an example, John sees the river of life coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb that is given to the nations for the healing of the nations. Well, what does John prophetically see that carries over into the rest of this chapter? John does not just see Christ. And this is in no way demeaning the Son of God, our Savior Christ. The tree that we spoke about last week or the week before is eternally generated from the throne. And the Holy Spirit spirates from that eternal love. What am I saying? I am saying that John sees all three eternally divine persons are present as one. And that are given to the nations for the healing of the nations. Christ as our mediator who brings us to the Father by the Spirit. John doesn't see three thrones but one. Christ sat down on his Father's throne. Along with the Holy Spirit. What I am saying to you is whom shall we see? We will not just see Christ. We will see God. The triune God. Christ is our mediator. He brings us to the Father and we shall behold him. We will see the divine essence. We will see whom shall we see? Father, Son, and Spirit. When we are tempted to be hyper-Christocentric. You know hyper-Christocentric means every verse speaks about Jesus. In every verse you can find Jesus. That's not true. When we are tempted to be hyper-Christocentric, we must ask ourselves, is there no love from the Father? When we are tempted to be hyper-Christocentric, we must ask ourselves, is there no comfort from the Spirit? Does the Father not give me joy? Does the Spirit not teach and guide me in all things? 
We do, we worship one who is three and three who are one. Dear ones, when we think of the one, we must think of the three. And when we think of the three, we must think of the one. For the divine persons do not work independently of one another, but they work and operate as one. Whom shall we see? We shall see God. Father, Son, and Spirit. How shall we see? God help me. This is answered in two ways. First, through Christ. And secondly, through the soul. First, through Christ. And secondly, through the soul. We shall receive the beatific vision through Christ. Christ has the beatific vision so that he might bring us to the beatific vision. And he shares with us that which he sees or that which he knows. We therefore participate in the vision of Christ of God. We see God through Christ. But in seeing God through Christ, we see all persons. We are partakers and sharers in the divine nature and in the divine vision of Christ. Christ, while on earth, this is disputed. Christ, while on earth, had the beatific vision. That which we are looking toward to have, Christ had while he was in his earthly body. That which is granted to those when they depart from this life was given to Christ upon his incarnation. I would agree with St. Thomas Aquinas and Simon Gain. In the Gospels, Christ is not clueless about his identity because he has the beatific vision. Christ is not clueless about his Father because he has seen the Father. Christ is not clueless about the hearts of humans because he knows all things as the Father knows all things. Christ is not clueless about the future, though someone might say, But did he not say that he did not know the hour, the day, or the time? Christ will also say, it has not been given to you to know. To know the hour, the place, the time. Not that he does not know it, but it has not been given to him to share it. And he knows it because he has had the beatific vision. Christ is not clueless about his sacrifice. He is not walking through life wondering, what's going to happen next? I'm not sure. No. Christ knows his mission. He knows his purpose. He knows exactly who he is because he has received the beatific vision. He also knows that the joy set before him is not seeing God finally. It is bringing many sons to glory. Christ is full of grace and he is full of truth. All that he has said and all that he has done is from the Father because he has seen the Father. He has a satisfaction that food cannot give him here on earth. It is the blessed vision of God. His human mind, Simon Gain says, is taken into the divine mind by which he knows heavenly things, that which only one who has seen the Father could know. Christ has to be to big vision. I'm getting to a point, and we could say that it is through Christ that we have to be to big vision, because we are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you will see the divine essence, that which Christ sees, that which Christ knows. The beatific vision is then mediated to them through the humanity of Christ. And our heavenly glory depends eternally on the beatific vision being enjoyed by Christ in his human mind. I'm getting to somewhere. I'm saying no. I'm saying mine. I'm I'm doing that for a reason. Follow this. Christ's humanity 
has the heavenly role of illuminating other glorified intellects, namely you and I. His role is to illuminate our minds. His role is to illuminate, listen to this, our eyes, as it were, so that we might see and know. Christ knows all, all those who are his. And he becomes a light for us that enlightens our understanding, our intellect. I love the way John is using, he uses it at the end of chapter 21, light. He uses it now in 22, light. What is Christ doing? He is enlightening as the light of the world and the light of his people. He is enlightening our eyes so that we might see and know God. The saints are elevated to the act of glory by the gift of the heavenly light of glory for all time. Thomas Aquinas Human beings are led to beatific vision through the humanity of Christ. And so it was necessary that knowledge, that the knowledge which consists in the vision of God be found most excellently in Christ. He has the vision most excellently. Because a cause must always be more potent than what is caused. In other words, Christ's beatific vision in his human mind. The essence of beatitude is in some sense the cause of beatitude of the saints, of our perfect blessedness. It's because of Christ, of which the essence is again the beatific vision. It is in Christ's own light of glory by which the human mind is elevated to the beatific vision. It's because of Christ that this causal dependence, Simon Gates says, is such that the saints' glory, light, and act is dependent for all time on that of Christ. Meaning, we stand in Christ. And if you stand in Christ, you will see God. And in seeing God, no, and we will be eternally dependent upon Christ for that vision. Christ's humanity is instrumental for the possibility of us experiencing the beatific vision by mediating it to us in this life, the knowledge that constitute a foretaste of the beatific vision. So how do we see? Well, first through Christ. And I know that was technical. I, I know. But what we're getting at is you see God through Christ. You don't just see Christ. You see God through Christ. How shall we see? This is going to be even more technical. Not by seeing, but by knowing. Not by seeing, but by knowing. In seeing the divine essence, we will know him. And in knowing him, we will be beatified, made perfectly and eternally blessed. Saints, his essence is to know God fully, or seeing his essence is to know God fully. Insofar as God can be known fully and truly by the creature. Meaning, we are not going to know God as God knows God. We are going to know God as far as the human creature can possibly know God. Which is wonderful. Seeing God does not mean that we are naturally seeing with our eyes. Why? Because God is a spirit without body, parts, or passions. 
He cannot be visibly seen with the corporeal eye. So then, why do we keep saying, and why do the scriptures keep saying, see? See, because whenever we think of see, we think of only that which we can naturally behold with our eyes. We will see God means that we will know God. That is not to say that we can know God comprehensively, as I just said. We will know God, but we will not know God exhaustively. We will not know everything there is to know about God. Um, Simon Gaines says, we will know the will of God. But we won't know all possible wills. As God knows all possible wills. We know what God has revealed and we will know the reason for it. Not all the other possibilities that God did not eternally decree. Does that make sense? We will know what God has revealed. We will know why he has revealed it. It will make perfect sense to us once and for all. We'll get to that at the end of this sermon. God is limitless. God is boundless. But we will know him as much as we can know him. As much as a creature could possibly know God, we will know God. The beatific vision is a vision of knowledge resulting in blessedness. The beatific vision as preached by Pastor Isaiah is not a vision of seeing with the corporeal eye, but seeing and that in seeing, that seeing is a knowing. It's an intellect. It's an understanding. Now, don't check out at this point. Because it can be a temptation that when one hears of the beatific vision not being something that we actually see, but something that is of the intellect, we might just say, well, wait a minute. So it's just about getting smarter. I mean, I just now I just know stuff. Because we lean toward the senses. It's all that we think we know, right? You've got to go to Yosemite. You've got to see it. It's different than, than, than hearing about it. You must be there. Gosh, I've got to hurry. You need to see it. And so we, we only can, can equate seeing in one way. As Pastor Isaiah taught, oh, well, let me go back to this. Seeing equaling knowing does not just mean that you're getting smarter. Uh, it's not like when the scarecrow finally got a brain in the Wizard of Oz, that now I can work out all of these mathematical equations in my mind. No. Rather, the BGP vision is not about getting smarter. It's about knowing Almighty God, listen to this, with perfect creaturely understanding, which results in perfect creaturely love and happiness of your soul. The beatific vision is a seeing of the soul, not a seeing of the eye. The word of God says, though you don't see him, you love him. And there will come a time when you will see him. When the eye will get to enjoy what the soul already enjoys, love for God. The seeing of the soul takes place. When the soul of the saint depart from the body and is present with the Lord. This is why David could say, I will see him. But it's interesting that when David says that he will see him, he leaves his body, which includes his eye, 
behind. But David still says that he will see God. Well, how will David see God if he left his eyes behind? David knows that he will see of the soul. That he will know God in his soul in a perfect manner. And it will produce in him a joy. Don't think that knowing something can't bring you joy. Even though you can't see it. Knowing that someone has arrived at a destination safely brings you joy. Even though you didn't see it. Knowing that my wife loved me brought me way more joy, even though it does bring me joy, than seeing her. When I knew that the one that I loved loved me back, it produced in me, after having this knowledge, great joy. You can know something and it can produce in you an overwhelming joy. And that is what takes place when you see the Father, Son, and Spirit. You will know Him. And in knowing Him, it will bring, produce in you joy unspeakable. The intellect, um, it's not your brain, it's your soul. Your will and passions are not your organ beating in that organ beating in your chest called the heart. It's your passions located in the soul. And when you receive this blessed vision, your soul will be elevated to such a joy that you have never known. You know it now, but you will know it in full. David proclaimed, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be I shall be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. He's not talking about waking up from a dream in the morning. David's talking about that bright morning when he flies away home. And is forever in the presence of God. He looked forward to seeing God not with his eye, which we'll get to in a moment, but with his soul. And in this vision, receiving the perfect blessedness that comes from the blessed vision of the soul, knowing God. It's not what Abraham longed to see. Jesus said, Abraham longed to see. He did. And he was glad. John eight fifty six. Abraham longed to see. He did. Abraham is in the tomb. And yet Jesus says he saw. And he was glad. He saw. And he was beatified. He received perfect blessedness that he was longing for. Indeed, we must not think that it is only when we are in the new creation that we will receive this blessed vision. Because then we will have corporeal eyes to see. Rather, seeing that the scriptures is, is speaking of is knowing. And in knowing, being perfectly blessed. Isaiah used the example, didn't he? Um, of being presented with something difficult. And then finally, when it, it is explained, we can quite naturally, without even thinking about, thinking about it, go and say, uh, oh, I see. When something difficult is explained to us and we can respond without thinking about it, oh, yes, I see. That is, I understand. Something is being worked out in the soul that now you see. Let's take this a step further, though. Because the text before us is taking place in the new creation. So we have to deal with that, don't we? We will have resurrected bodies, which means we will also have eyes, actual eyes. So then will we not see? Yes, we will have eyes 
And yes, in the new creation, we will see the glorified humanity of Christ Jesus. But that in and of itself will not be the beatific vision. That sight of the glorified, resurrected body of Christ will not be in and of itself the beatific vision. It is through Christ that we see the essence of God. That is the beatific vision. Even though we see with our eyes Christ, and let me say to you, it will be a joy to see Christ. It will be a joy to see Christ. But let me say very carefully and also respectively, uh, the essence, the reason for the beatific vision is the essence of God. Everything thereafter is an accidental joy. Not the essential joy. Meaning, God is the one who brings us joy. Everything that we see thereafter will, will, will give us joy. But they won't be the essential cause of our joy. Seeing Father, Son, and Spirit will be the essential cause of our joy. Let me say to you this. I, I look forward to seeing my dad. I could start to tear up when I think about seeing my dad. But he won't be the essential cause of my joy. He'll be an accidental cause of my joy, meaning I will have joy. I don't want to diminish that. But he won't be the reason for my joy. Christ will. Or God, the Father, Son, and Spirit will. See how I did that? It's so natural to do that. Uh, I look forward to seeing my grandma cook up. She will not be the essential cause of my joy, though. I look forward to seeing my brother Louie. And hearing if, you know what I mean, is still set in heaven. But he won't be the cause, essential cause of my joy. He'll be the accidental cause of my joy. We don't want to diminish that. The thing that should cause us to well up with tears is that we will see the essence of God. Now, Simon Gain, I'll say this and then we'll move quickly. In the new creation, when our bodies are raised, there will be further knowledge of Christ's humanity mediated through the glorified senses of the resurrected body of each of the blessed because we see him. It will be an accidental joy, not the essential joy. Seeing the divine essence, all three persons by way of knowledge will cause the beatific vision. Seeing the glorified body of Christ will bring us joy, but we will have have already known him. We will have already known his body. We will have already known his scars. We will have already known Christ as Christ, and then we will see him. And that joy that we already know through seeing him will be extended to our eyes, but it won't be, it won't add joy to our eyes. It will only be extended to our eyes. I hope that that makes sense. Ask Isaiah if you know, that doesn't make sense after we're done. That is not to say also that our eyes are a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But it is the means by which we behold him in our glorified bodies with glorified eyes. The vision has an impact on the will, the passions of the body, which are the wider content of the heavenly beatitude, the the beatific vision. In seeing Christ, one still sees the essence of God through the glorified humanity of Christ. Meaning you won't just exalt Christ. You will exalt or be happy just in Christ. And to Christ be glory, you will be happy in all three persons.
You will see him. The light of glory like grace. Grace is mediated through the members of the body by the head, which is light of glory of the saints as we participate in the light of glory enjoyed by the head. We will enjoy what Christ sees. All three persons. Simon Gaines uses this example. We're coming to a close. And I thought of, of, of the bluffs here in Bakersfield. That when you go to the bluffs and you stand on the edge, there really is no, there really is no bad view. As long as you're on the edge, standing on the bluffs, wherever you look, it's beautiful everywhere. Someone, I, we had, I had a guest come from uh, out of town and I, I took him to the bluffs. Um, you, he preached at our church years ago. He didn't like the vision because he, he said all the oil fields down there. He said, actually, wow, it looks like hell down there. I said, hey, that's one of our best sites. What are you talking about? <laughs> but for us who love Bakersfield and who love the bluffs, you know that wherever you stand on the bluffs, it's a beauty. It's a beauty to behold. Simon Gain uses this example and essentially says, Christ is the position. And that if you are standing in Christ, no matter where you look, you will see God and it will be beautiful. You will not, there will not be one bad position standing in Christ. We will see him and we will know him. Let me close with this. What shall we know? We're talking about who will we see? God. How will we see? Through Christ and through the soul. And this is a seeing of the soul as a knowing. Well, what will we know? What will we know that's going to bring us such great joy? Since it's not a seeing God and going, okay, he's more beautiful than the Grand Canyon or than Yosemite. What exactly am I seeing by knowledge that makes me so happy? What is this knowledge of of of, of knowledge that springs up a well of life within our souls. Verse 20, 22, or chapter 22, verse 5, and let's close with this. There will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of lamp, of light of a lamp, nor the light of sun, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. This verse is, is most often interpreted as Darkness representing wickedness. Wickedness that is being vanquished by the light of God. I believe that's true. But I also believe that this darkness that is being spoken of here at, in verse 5 is the darkness of our minds. That is, that God shall illumine our understanding in such a way that there will no longer be any sight of God that we will see through a glass dimly or darkly. Meaning this. We are currently walking by faith. And we are walking by a faith that is obscure, though it is becoming clearer and clearer day by day. When we receive the beatific vision, there will no longer be any obscurity or we will no longer walk in darkness. We are walking in light now, but it is still a light that is obscure. You are walking by faith, but there will come a time when you will no longer need faith. You will see. You will no longer need hope. You will receive that which you hope for. God will flood our minds with his divine light, elevating them to know God's essence in such a way that will dramatically dispel any obscurity that we experience here and now. How? Through the knowledge of Christ, we shall know God as he is. As far as a creature can know it, we will know his essence. Watch this. We will see, that is, know his perfections. We will know the holiness of God. 
the most that, that any creature can know the holiness of God. We will know the righteousness of God, the justice of God. It will not be confusing to us any longer. Here's something. We will finally understand the Trinity. We, we won't make comments and go, I don't know if that's orthodox or not. I don't know if I'm saying that heretically or not. That will never be, uh, we will never speak another heretical word by accident. We will know the mystery of the Trinity. We will no longer see it dimly or darkly. Uh, Garrigou Lagrange says, they see the eternal generation of the word. When Pastor Isaiah will speak about the word of God, uh, Christ the Son be eternally generated from the Father. That will no longer be confusing to us. We will know it and it will bring us joy. Who is the splendor of the Father, figure of his substance. They will see the ineffable satisfaction of the Holy Spirit, who is the terminus of the mutual love of the Father and the Son, who unites the Father and the Son in the most intimate and mutual self-communication. That will make sense to us. Even though what I just read didn't make sense to you, it will make sense in heaven. The blessed see divine perfections concentrated and harmonized in their common source in the divine essence which contains them all eminently, formerly, in a far higher way than white light contains the colors of the rainbow. You will know the colors of the rainbow. You will know why the colors of the rainbow. You will know how they are formed and it will bring you joy. Saints, we will know the mercy of God and his sweet tenderness and it will bring you joy. We will know and heartily agree with the justice of God. Why you and not him? Why him and not her? We will know the justice of God. We will know why God has loved you before the foundation of the world. And it will bring us joy. We will know why God has kept you. You will know why every single trial that you went through was given to you and not him. Given to you and not her. All of the trials will make sense. Who you married will make sense. Your children will make sense. All of these things that are known by God and given to us. They will make sense. You will no longer be saying, nothing makes sense to me. Everything will make sense to us. And it will bring to us great, great, great joy. Joy that will be everlasting. Joy that will never end. We will know why he died. Why she died. The way that they did. What God's plans were for you. And what we experienced that was difficult in our lives. We won't shed tears about it anymore. When we think about it, it won't cause us to lose sleep. When we think about it, it won't cause us to toss and turn. When we think about our lives, it will no longer bring us depression and anxiety. All of our lives will make sense. Why you were born now and not later. Why born now and not earlier? We will finally know all of the works of God. We will finally understand the permission of evil. Even the worst kinds of evil. We will understand our trials, even the most difficult of them. There will no longer be mystery, but we shall delight in the light of God who will illuminate our eyes and eliminate all darkness from our, from our minds and we will rejoice in what we know. And then as a secondary joy, we're going to see the saints of all time. We will know them just as you know me and even better. We will see them with our actual eyes 
and know them. And we will have joy. We will smile. We will rejoice. We will see the number which no man can count. And we will hear with our ears a song of praise to God. We will smell the scent of the new creation. And shall touch the glorified wounds of Christ. And embrace the saints who are at home with him. We shall taste and see that the Lord is good. For all time. And we shall reign with him forever. And I like the way John says, and ever. And we could keep going, and ever. And ever. Saints of God, who will we see God? How will we see him? Through Christ, who has given to us his vision. We will see with the soul and know. And then when our bodies are reunited with our souls, we will see with our eyes. And it will be joyful, but our essential joy comes in seeing God. And when we do, we will know all things, and it will bring us unimaginable joy. Let us pray.